mom and dad. Everybody, this is my wife, Loka. We're married. <laughs> well, maybe here, but not in America, where God pays attention. <laughs> now get your things together. We're leaving right now. Well, mom, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm happy here. This is my home. Hey, uh, you guys got an ATM? I only got $37 on me. <gasps> What's the matter with him? We've never seen that much money before. You are the richest man in the country. Richest man in the country? Wow, no Griffin's been this powerful since my ancestor, King Arthur Griffin. Oh, Arthur, if you are able to draw the sword from the stone and prove to me you truly are the sole king of Camelot, I will make love to you right here in the clearing. What if I could just move it an inch? Will you touch me? I got the horses in the back. Horse tack is attached, hat is Maddie Black, got the boots that black to match. Riding on a horse, you can whip your Porsche. I'm not a tough guy, gentle I'm not rough guy, just can't eat enough guy, I'm a cocoa puff guy. I'm that dead type, traumatized and sad type, drinking till I'm mad type, don't know how to add type. I'm a fat guy. you kidding. <laughs> hey everybody and welcome back to Freaking Sweet, a Family Guy podcast. A week by week, episode by episode, look back at Family Guy 20 years later and the show that you can run to when the upperclassmen want to kick your ass. That's right, come on in. I won't let Ben Affleck get you like he's gotten so many others. Why? Because I'm your family guy, Ian, and this week we've got a really important episode, and it has nothing to do with the fact that Chris goes to South America. This week, it's Jungle Love. And this episode was written by Mark Hentman and Seth Kearsley, and is important because this is the episode where Peter gets his job at the Pawtucket Brewery. Uh, as Seth has said many times, he wanted it to feel kind of real uh, with the with the uh, like trajectory of Peter's career path. He notes in the commentary in this and other episodes uh, when he gets uh, his job at or with the boat and at the Renaissance Fair, he notes that most people go through different jobs throughout their lives, and he wanted Peter to kind of have a realistic trajectory with that, and this is uh, the latest in that line. He's worked at the brewery ever since, but it gives him a lot of stories, and they note that in the commentary. Uh, and David A. Goodman, a producer for the show and a, and a writer for the show, uh, is like, this. the brewery gives him so much more uh, room to work than with the fishing boat. So I think that's why they've stuck with the brewery. Also, it gives Peter a ready access to a lot of beer. And um, it, it gives us a really, really important character. Uh, his long-suffering boss, Angela, played by the late and fantastic Carrie Fisher, uh, Leia from Star Wars. Um, fortunately, she passed away. and But she is fantastic. She plays this role for... For so long, and we're so lucky to have her. This episode is our fourth season's 13th episode and our 63rd episode overall. And it's the last episode on Volume 3 of Family Guy if you're following along with the DVDs. As I said before, I have them all on DVD up to Season uh, 18. I believe Season 19 is premiering now. 
or, or I might have up to season 17. They might not have season 18 out on DVD, and I'm not sure if they will. Um, this is the last episode on volume three, which is really important because the second half of this season is on volume four, and that is going to screw up the entire DVD continuity uh, from here on out. The volumes are going to be different than the seasons, and half of the seasons are going to be on one, and the other half is going to be on the other. It's absolutely terrible if you're trying to count the seasons by the DVDs, um, and that's really only important to like me and maybe a few other people. But uh, it it's kind it, it's kind of like an old school Family Guy joke, uh, but we are going to be continuing with Volume Four, and I. I have, obviously, Volume 4, and every single episode in the back half of this season is a banger, and I cannot wait to get started. This episode debuted September 25th, 2005, and split the difference between my birthday and my father-in-law's birthday on the 23rd and 27th, respectively, and it was not the only cartoon to debut, as you might well guess. This episode also debuted alongside a lot of really funny cartoons, and we'll talk to you all about it in... Concurrent Cartoons! This week, our episode was accompanied by three fantastic cartoons, starting with King of the Hills by Stand Me, which is a really, really funny episode. I really love King of the Hill, uh, and I have a, a really, really tough time with Peggy Hill because she's one of my favorite characters of all time and also one of my most hated characters of all time. But in this, Peggy gets a new column where she's got to do like household hints and she keeps stealing them from men. And one of her hints turns out to be uh, accidentally making mustard gas. And uh, that ties in with the fact that Bobby gets a paper route because Hank makes him. And he makes a deal with Dale uh, to, to do it. And because I think they fail to deliver the papers because they both fall asleep, uh, no one gets the mustard gas uh, hint, and it turns out okay. Um, but it's a really, really funny episode, and it's a really funny Peggy Hill episode. And, uh, and I know a lot of people think Peggy is really funny. The Simpsons episode that played was called Millhouse of Sand and Fog. This is the episode where Millhouse's parents, the Manhattans, get back together uh, at a chicken pox party that Homer has uh, for all of his neighbors because they get drunk on Marge's margaritas. And um, Millhouse gets sad because he's not getting spoiled by his divorced parents anymore and uh they him and bart devise a plan to like uh to make it seem like he's been kidnapped or ran away or whatever and uh backfires and it it ends in a really weird way where it almost seems like millhouse um is gonna he like commits suicide or is like gonna die or something but i would assume that he doesn't because he's alive after that either way the American Dad episode that played is a really funny one, and it's called All About Steve, and it's where Stan finds out that Steve is a nerd. Um, Steve, or Stan, uh, finds out that Steve is a nerd uh, via Derek Jeter, of all people, and um, 
he starts freaking out about it and ends up having to like wear braces and he gets acne because of it and uh everything starts to clear up once he starts to accept steve and because he accepts steve and accept accepts steve for who he is and takes his help he's able to solve a really hard case and uh like i said it's really really funny and all of these are really really worth your time to go out and watch these were the only episodes to debut. We also decided to look at what debuted against our episode of Family Guy and how the ratings worked out. Desperate Housewives ran against our episode and smashed it in the ratings. Um, recently, we reported on the 57th Emmy, and several characters uh, won for their performances in that show, so no wonder... Uh, that it beat Family Guy in the ratings uh, 15 to 5. I don't know how the ratings work, but that's what the TV listings said that happened. We also lost to Law & Order Criminal Intent, which, to be fair, is, is the best Law and & Order, and in my mind it goes Law & Order Criminal Intent, regular Law & Order, uh, Law & Order SVU, and then I've done, I don't know, I'm pretty sure there's another one that I, I never saw. But uh, to round it out, there was also Blue Collar TV, which came in at a 1.5, which Family Guy beat, and um, is was part of the inexplicable uh, rise of the redneck that that happened through from like 2001 to like 2005. Um, Jeff Foxworthy, Bill Engvall, Larry the Cable Guy, and Ron White um, could do no wrong and we're putting out hit after hit uh and it was inexplicable and frankly unforgivable and uh with that we are going to get you into your episode of family guy jungle love for some reason the guys are drinking at the house and i think it's literally just to set up the fact that chris has to come in and talk to them but before he does there's a really funny joke uh, where they it's HBO's Deadwood. They're watching uh, Deadwood, and it's like, it's just a couple of old dudes just looking at porn. It's like, you got anything? And the old other the other guys like, nope. And that's funny, but like I said, they're sitting. They're the guys are drinking in the living room, uh, because Chris has to come in and start talking to them about a specific subject, and it gets kind of weird. He's like, ah, I'm getting. New. He comes in and he's got different clothes on. He's like, these are my new school clothes. And they start, he's like, I'm, I'm going to start at high school this year. And the guys start telling Chris about the freshman hunt. And this is where, it's where it gets weird for me. Because they start telling him about the freshman hunt and how uh, seniors hunt down the freshmen and, and paddle them. Which is, is weird, but I'm not even going to touch that at the moment. But what's weird about it is that they're all talking about it as if they all did this together back when they had high school. But to my knowledge, Peter's the only one that's like a Quahog local. Uh, in the in past episodes, we see that Quagmire like moves there, and he's he's in the Navy. Uh, Cleveland moves there after meeting um, meeting Peter after he gets like he like hitchhikes with him. And uh, they go to Quahog, and that's how, like, Cleveland ends up there. And there's an entire episode of Joe moving there, and so I just find that really weird. But, I mean, it's a cartoon, so I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and, you know, not really draw attention to it while I'm watching it. But I just wanted to point that out, that that's really fucking weird. Uh, but, 
Um, oh, there's also a really funny subtitle where he's like, where Joe is like, remember how much fun that was? But the subtitle just says, remember how much it was? And I know that's little, but I just thought it was funny at the time. Uh, Chris is super scared uh, about the freshman hunt. And um, he's like, are you serious? And and uh, Peter's like, yeah, I'm as serious as the time I went to see Paul Reiser. What's the deal with airline food? I mean, is this stuff bad or what? Oh, that's not nice. Those chefs work really hard. And what's with those Starbucks, huh? They're everywhere. Uh, a lot of people want coffee. That's supply and demand. It's the foundation of our entire economy, Paul. And who do I talk to about those long lines at the ATM? That's what I want to know. Uh, not me, Mr. Reiser. Someone who has time to fritter away, but not me. And I find that joke really funny. Um, but like I said, Chris is mad fucking scared. Um, and uh, he he runs off. And Lois comes in and uh, she's like, oh, what are you, uh, you, you're just sitting around drinking beer and you... You need to, like, get a job. You know, we don't, like, have money. You're supposed to provide for us. And uh, I, in my notes, I'm like, oh, shit, continuity. Because his boat was fucking destroyed in the last episode in, that, in, the, uh, in the giant storm that him and the guys were caught up in. And uh, I, I like it when the show has continuity. But like I said before, this is part of, uh, of their goal of having Peter have multiple jobs. And that was... Uh, like I said, that's one way to get rid of a boat. Um, but Peter tries. He's like, um, you know what? Uh, you're right, Lois. Uh, but hey, look, what is this? Is this the latest Red Book? And he like throws it, and he runs outside, and he's like, is she is she gone? And Stewie is like, um. I wonder, I can't remember what he says before, but he's like, but I guess they're not the first couple to fight. And we get a really, um, it's it's a long joke, but it's really funny. And it's about cave people fighting, and it's just so fucking funny. Did you have a nice day? It's okay. You know, our son got into your closet today. Uh, okay. Yeah, anything, anything in there maybe you wouldn't have wanted him to see? No. Really? You don't have any dirty pictures in there? No. Then how do you explain these? So what? So I have some paintings. Is this how you want me to look? Oh, come on, Karen. Do you hate your body so much you have to reduce every painting of the female form to pornography? Oh, no, don't do that, Karen. Don't, don't you do, do that. Don't, don't make this my fault. It is your fault. You're I just the one wanted to come home and have dinner. You have my wife say, hello, how's your day? Take an interest. Like oh, no, that's impossible brother. for you. You know what this is about? What? This is about your disrespect oh, for me, this family, on. and everything oh, we stand oh, for. Oh, what we stand for. What do we stand for? Who are we, the Gorax now? Oh, suddenly you're Cynthia Gorak? That's what you want, isn't it? You've always wanted to be Cynthia Gorak. Yeah, well, you know what? At least Cynthia Gorak's husband cares about her family. Oh. Oh, I can't even talk to you when you're like this. Oh, okay. It's over now because you say it is. Oh, way to go, Karen. You solved all our problems by just walking away. And it's so obvious I don't care about the family. I just killed a 700-pound tiger with a stick and a rock. That doesn't make you a man, Gary. Oh, here we go. Here's act two of the performance. Karen pretends to leave home for the 20th time. You know what? You know what, Karen? Go. I'm not gonna stop you. Just go. Get out. Get the hell out. Screw you, Gary. Oh yeah, if you did that more often, maybe I wouldn't need these paintings. Oh, what the hell are you looking at? And it seems like a joke that would be on. There's a there's a there's a DVD called Seth MacFarlane's Cavalcade of Cartoon Comedy, and that seems like a joke that would be on that. 
But on the way to his first day of school, um, Chris, or not Chris, but Stewie's talking about Howard Stern. And I remember watching that as a kid, which is fucking terrible, uh, because his show was like, I think taped for a while. And I remember watching it on TV and, uh, that's fucking terrible that I, I was able to watch that as a kid. But, um, they get there and Lois is like reassuring Chris. She's like, ah, don't worry. It'll be okay. And then when they get, she's like, don't worry. The freshman hunt isn't real. And he gets out of the car and he's like, okay, mom. And he gets out and he starts going and she locks the door and she's like, Freshman and totally fucks over Chris, and I don't know why that's so funny. But sometimes Lois just does things that are counter to her character, and it's so fucking funny. We get a really funny chase uh, with Chris um, running uh, throughout the school. He's getting chased by by seniors, and uh, he ends up in the cafeteria, and he finally gets caught. And the scene ends with him uh, getting spanked by, like, seniors, then people who work at the school, and finally Adam West spanks him. He's like, I'm going to teach you the lesson that it's not okay to be a freshman. And it becomes a fucking perfect shot-for-shot remake of Dazed and Confused, where Ben Affleck is just beating the shit out of the main character Mitch's ass with with the paddle. And all of the high school dudes are watching. And I fucking love Days and Confused. And like I said before, it kicks fast time at Ridgemont High's ass. And um, and it's even got no more Mr. Nice Guy in the background. And it's it's so fucking funny. Uh, because like I said, I love Days and Confused and I love Adam West. And then we go from that to Peter at the un or I guess the at the employment office. He's trying to find work, and the guy's like, um, "What do you uh, what do you think you're qualified for?" Like he like writes down all the things. He's like wizard, cowboy, millionaire, more powerful wizard, and he's like, "Well, what have you done before?" He's like, "Well, I was Sandy Duncan's uh, fake eye before. Sandy Duncan's an actress. She had uh, cerebral palsy, I believe." and or i can't remember i can't remember what it said i was reading something about someone with cerebral palsy that might not be her uh, i might be i might be wrong about that but she had a fake eye anyways uh and it was peter we see them at the at the store and there's her and instead of an eye it's just like peter's head and her eye and he's like ah don't get that get get some get some of the blueberries um which it's not a good cereal. Booberry, not a good cereal. Cho- Count Chocula is better than Booberry, and I'm not even a big Count Chocula fan. And I feel like that's not, uh, I feel like that's not a shocking opinion. But Peter gets, he's like, oh, I've actually, uh, well, I got a job at the brewery here, and Peter's like, yeah, that would be better than that study that I did. And we got a funny cutaway to Peter. Um, he's he's doing, he's like at a study, and there's scientists watching him. And he's, like, trying to do a puzzle, and there's some bears uh, around him who have the puzzle all done, and his is in shambles. And he's like, ah, ah, I, I don't know what you're going for here. And he looks over at the at one, at one the bear's puzzle, and he's like, oh, oh, it's a jar of preserves. And uh, that's really fucking funny. And they, I think it just, Seth just said he thought that joke was really funny, too, in the commentary. But Chris comes home from school. He's like, I, I, I do not want to go back at all. 
and um, Lois says that, uh, you know, Chris, you just need to find your place, and uh, she walks away, and then uh, Stewie is like, oh, I know, you know, worse comes to worse, I know uh, what I'm, uh, what I'm gonna do. I'm not worried about high school at all. Worst case scenario, I'll carve out a niche as the effeminate male friend of the popular girls. Okay, tonight's my OC party. I got a case of wine coolers so we can drink every time Ryan seethes. Cool, I'd love to come. Me too. How'd you get the wine coolers? No, it's not. I just did some stuff for a guy in the parking lot. Does anyone have any scope? And that joke's really fucking funny too. Um, But Chris doesn't like... He says that he's like, no, he's like, he doesn't care about that. He's not going back. And Brian basically talks him into going to the Peace Corps. He's like, you know, I, I, I feel you, you know, pressure sucks. And he's like, you know, I, when I, you know, I joined the Peace Corps and, you know, they, I, like, a, like the next day I was, I was like two continents away and there was like dope everywhere. And this one time, oh my God. We, we smoked so much dope that we ate all of the food that the World Health, or- Health Organization sent, you know, and, and the whole village was pissed. But, you know, thank God for polio, which is a terrible joke, but it's, it's, it's so funny for some reason. I joined the Peace Corps, and a day later I was two continents away. Really? Yep. But 6,000 miles and all the dope I could smoke still couldn't separate me from my problems. And this was good dope. I mean, it, it was growing everywhere. Oh my god, this one time, this one time we got so baked, we ended up eating all the food the World Health Organization had airlifted in. (laughs) Man, those villagers were so pissed. They tried to chase us, but let me just say, thank god for polio. Anyway, my point is that... Huh. Hey, is Peter here? I want to rehire him. My new eye isn't working out. Hey, Wheat Thins, take your top off! But, um, the whole time that he's giving this, that Brian's giving this speech, Chris is in the background packing his bag, and uh sandy duncan and and he's gone and chris he's like chris where'd you go buddy and then sandy duncan comes in he's like hey is uh peter available i need to replace this eye and it's quagmire and uh he's just like hey wheat thins take your top off and the scene is just so fucking funny The next day, Peter is singing his Happy Pancake song, which is eerily close to my Happy Waffles song. And Brian notices and is like, you seem to be in a happy mood. And he's like, yeah, I'm happier than a dairy cow. And I'm not here to speculate on the happiness of dairy cows in this modern world. I'm just here to report on the milkgasms. After that, Lois comes in with a note that says Chris is running away. Peter says, give me that! And instead of reaching for the note, reaches for a paddle ball. He plays it for a not insignificant amount of time before it hits him in the eye. He decides he hates it and throws it away. He reads the note and says that he, uh, Chris has thrown away to the Peace Corps and he is in South America. Uh, Peter and Lois are, don't we know someone who ran away to the Peace Corps? Was it Popeyes? Do we know Popeyes? No, 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 we don't. And Brian finally admits that it was him. And they're like, oh my god, what the fuck's wrong with you, Brad Dog? Obviously, I'm editorializing a little bit. But Brian's like, man, maybe this is good for him. You know, he's obviously confused. And 
Stewie's like, yeah, you know, people do crazy things when they're confused. Uh, I remember when my agent told me that I wasn't going to get any work. We cut to Stewie doing a really funny, uh, like, homage to Tootsie. Um, we see Chris, or Stewie get told he can't get work, and then we see him dressed as Tootsie. It's funny. Tootsie's funny. Uh, Dustin Hoffman dressing up as a woman. Uh, Chris parachutes into the village after the guy tells him to get his fill of the word colored, which is not okay. Uh, but as he goes in, the chief is like, hey, what's up? He's super cool. Uh, he's like, welcome to our village. The air is clean. Our river is caffeine-free. Never had it. Never will. It's a funny 7-Up reference. I do not like 7-Up or Sprite. Not my taste. Uh, I also don't like Mountain Dew. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, soda preferences aside. Uh, but he's like, hey, this is my daughter, Loka. Chris is like, ho, ho, ho. Um, this is my son, Hidalgo. And my cousin, Vinny, which is really funny. I love my cousin, Vinny. I love Joe Pesci, uh, specifically. Um, but after that, after he, you know, meets the village, Chris calls home. And the call is really funny. And um, the ending of it specifically with Stewie and Meg is really fucking funny. Hello? Hi, Mom! Chris, are you alright? Oh, Chris, buddy, thank God you're okay! Hi, Dad! Hey, this has been driving me crazy. Who was the chick on Remington Steel? Hello? Stephanie Zimbalist? No, Stewie Griffin. Who's this? Ah, thank you. Chris, what are you doing down there? Relax, Mom. I'm having a great time. You people knock me off the modem. When are you coming home? How's the food in South America? Do the women there have exposed clitorati? I'll be home in a month after people have forgotten I'm a freshman. Well, please, just take care of yourself, honey. Hey, guys. Is everyone on the phone? Oh, I gotta go. Something's in the oven. I lost a shoe. No, no, don't leave me on the phone with her. Stewie? Hey, how's school? Hi, Stewie. Listen, I am swamped, but, uh, Mom has kept me up to date on everything you're doing, and I think it's just great. Hanging up now. Uh, after that, uh, we cut to Peter at the brewery. He's, like, he's walking through it with the guy. He's like, and of course you can drink, but not during your work hours. And Peter's like, no problem. He's like, all right, cool, uh, let me go get your name tag, and I will be right back. He literally walks in and out five seconds later, and Peter's just fucking hammered. He's like, ah, you never came to my t-ball games. And uh, he passes out, and he fucking uh, ruins, ruins his job uh, just immediately, and it's really, really funny. Uh, we see Peter trying to go home. Uh, he pulls up to his kitchen window uh, like it's a drive-thru, and he tries to order some food, uh, plus some pants. He's like, ah, right, you guys sell pants? And um, Meg is just, she's like super embarrassed by Peter. Her friends come over. There's beer cans everywhere. Um, they're like, what's up with all the beer? And she's like, oh, my dad got a job at the brewery. Frankly, he's been overdoing it. And Peter comes in, he's got a wife beater on and no pants, and he just sits on top of one of her uh, friends, and then he yells up to Lois, Ah, oh, Lois, you got any pants? And Peter's just way overdoing it with the beer. And uh, Meg, Meg is right. And then we see 
Uh, back in South America, we see Loka, the chief's daughter, flirting with Chris, in my opinion. She's, he's, like, carrying water with everyone else who's also carrying water. And she's like, oh, thank you for saving my village. And I'm like, okay, but, like, you're obviously coming on to him. Um, but she, uh, he's like, oh, you know, no, no problem. Um, you know, uh, I'm no hero. You know, Lou Gehrig is a hero. We get a really funny cutaway to Lou Gehrig and he's like, he's like laughing maniacally. He's like, <laughs> now that I have invented this disease, I'll put it in the world's water supply and, uh, and, and destroy the world. And then he drops it and he, that's how he got Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's really funny. And um, then Loka gives Chris a loincloth, and it's it's what happens after that is just so fucking funny. This is a gift from all of us. Go ahead, try it on. Mm, okay. Oh my, Chris! We can see your genitals. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Everyone's genitals are hanging out. Really? <laughs> Wow, this is just like Bible camp. Only I'm not crying and trying to pretend I'm somewhere else. Um, and I don't know why. That's my, one of my favorite jokes from this episode. But back in Quahog, Peter gets demoted to the shipping department. He's, the guy's like, well, since you can't handle uh, the floor uh, where the beer is, you're going to get demoted to shipping in the office. And this is where we meet Angela, played by Carrie Fisher, uh, Leia from Star Wars, as well as other stuff. That's not fair. Uh, but also, um, she's Leia from Star Wars. So, But uh, we also meet Opie, um, the... Um, I don't know how to describe him. They talk about him in the commentary, but he's he's like obviously like mentally uh, ill, I guess is the word. But in this, he actually is Peter's boss. Mr. Griffin, we have different rules here. For starters, no drinking, period. We start work at 7 a.m. sharp. This is your coworker, Opie. He is a burden of the state, deemed unfit for mainstream society. He is your superior. What did he say? He said he wants you to put your finger in his mouth. If you value your job, I'd do it. Ow! He bit me! Mr. Griffin, although I may not fully understand Opie's management style, he has proven himself a more competent employee than you. So, in my absence, you will listen to him. And, uh, he's like, man, this is worse than when I ha had to be Kevin Federline's magic mirror. We get a really funny cutaway to where uh, Kevin Federline walks up to a magic mirror, and he's like, magic mirror, how can I be more of a douche today? And it's Peter, and he's like, ah, well, let's see. You got uh, no college shirts. Uh, don't don't wash. Walk around with an uh, un with an unwarranted air of superiority, and it's so fucking funny. Uh, Kevin Federline, man, that is a fucking joke that I have not thought about in a long fucking time. But we cut back to the village, and um. You know, uh, they're they're at a at a like I guess ceremony. Uh, the whole village is like dancing around. There's a big fire. Loka comes over and asks Chris to dance with her, and he's like, "Yeah, okay." And he gets up and he does the jitterbug. They do the whole jitterbug, 
um, with the village. I want a jitterbug. And um, it's it's really funny, and um, we'll play a little bit of it because uh, Seth uh, said that you can't keep him away from singing, so I won't hold this back away from you guys. So here's Seth Green as Chris singing Jitterbug. Wake me up before you go, go, and take me dancing This is a joyous occasion. You have engaged the entire tribe in dance. According to our customs, you are now married to my daughter. I couldn't be happier. Well, if you're happy, then I'm happy, because after all... What? And uh, after that, um, the, the chief is like, Oh, you engaged our whole tribe in dance, which to us means that you and my daughter are married now. And Chris is like, oh, well, that's cool, because whatever makes you happy makes me have What? And it's a callback to, um, it's a callback to, um, a picture's worth a thousand bucks or something like that. It's the episode where Chris becomes a famous, I actually think that was the name of it, but that's the episode where Chris becomes a famous artist in New York that we covered a long time ago. But, uh, yeah, so Chris is ends up married to the daughter of the chief. Uh, at dinner, Peter complains about his job. He's like, oh, man, my, my job really sucks. Um, he's like, man, it's, it's, it's worse than my old job. And we get a really funny cutaway to where it's, he's just a beaker from the Muppets with Bunsen and Honeydew and it's just Beaker but in the but Peter and it's really funny and I love the Muppets. Uh I am a way I am definitely a Gonzo man. Gonzo's my favorite Muppet, uh definitely. And also uh Muppet Christmas Carol uh totally slaps and is probably the best uh Christmas Carol rendition that there is. Um Michael Kide uh does a fantastic job in it. Neither here nor there. Chris uh, then sends a letter uh, to the family, and uh, the Lois is like, oh, look, we got a letter. Oh, Chris is doing great. He met a girl. He got married. He's not coming home. And the whole family's freaking out. And they're like, oh, man, now we got to go get uh, Chris. And with Chris determined to stay in South America because he doesn't want to come home. We are going to take a quick break to get into a real big, fat, fantastic, freaking sweet stuff. This week's freaking sweet music is probably one of my favorite that we've done. And it's a shame that I have to admit that it's probably because I farmed it out and let my wife pick all three of them. My hair is growing. Growing all the time. And then you poke your head out the door with a C chord. Everything looks okay out here. Maybe I'll take a walk outside. Are you free? <laughs> the letter A, the A, the letter A, 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 A
This week's old school song is by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. It is from their 1970s album Deja Vu and is called Almost Cut My Hair. But I didn't, and I wonder why. I feel like letting my freak flag fly. Yes, I. This week's old school song is, it's so hard to pick a favorite out of all three of these, but I'm going to say it's probably this one. Um, my wife picked this song. Uh, she loves Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and they don't always play with Young, but this song, and also this is one of the only songs that Young got in uh, that he, he didn't write. Um, usually he only did songs that he wrote, but Crosby wrote this song and he noted it. It's noted as his most political song that he wrote. And he actually is quoted as saying that it's some of his most childish lyrics, but that it is meant to be a political statement on long hair being a symbol of the counterculture and as someone who has long hair, who is suspended from Catholic school for refusing to cut my hair and um, trim my sideburns. And I'm not fucking kidding. I got fucking suspended from uh, from Archbishop Shaw High School for refusing to cut my hair. And I stand by that. Fuck that shit. But my wife loved this song, and once she played it for me, um, I absolutely loved it. And I think uh, this song meant a lot to my wife because my uh, father-in-law, who uh, passed away, um, really loved Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and he had their album Deja Vu, and she, she loves um, every song on that album. And when I asked her to uh, gather these songs for me, she, she automatically went to Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and then when she played it for me, it honestly moved like honestly moved me the song is is so good it's such a good experience to listen to it our mid-school our mid our my school uh time period song uh that my wife picked this week is alien ant farms these days from july 2003's truant album these days i'm great there's work to do this is pr- definitely Alien Ant Farm's best album, at least in my opinion, and my wife's opinion. And this song fucking rules, and the video for it is so fucking funny. Uh, the video is real, and it's them. They rented out a, uh, or not rented out, but they went on the, the top of a building across the street from the 2003 BET Awards, and they played this song. And the video, you can see uh, tons of famous people like Pharrell and shit uh, reacting to them playing. And it's so good. And the song fucking rocks. And uh, this whole fucking album rocks. They were arrested uh, for the stunt, but the charges were dismissed. And this song absolutely belongs in the freaking Sweet Pantheon. 
And last but not least, our new school song uh, that my wife picked absolutely earns that moniker. In fact, we're recording this on May 31st, and this song came out 16 days ago, uh, May 15th, 2021. It's Kid Brunswick's When You Were Young. Said you hate yourself for spending all your money on your nose A blows and everybody thinks so And you don't know where to go Cause you're out all alone in a club Drinking blood tequila And you'd rather just be an Ibiza Where the city still run by Jesus But you look so pale and you're probably not well And your friends don't think so either Put on your dancing shoes I wanna make you move This song does all of what the kids say It slaps, it 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 flaps, it it fracks, and it bangs. It does all of the good stuff. The song fucking rules. And um, I I just want to say I really really appreciate my wife doing that. I don't know why I'm saying that. She doesn't listen to this show. Um, and the last thing is uh, because she doesn't listen to the show is um, she she's a little pretentious, but she has really great taste. <laughs> I wanted to go with something a little bit more familiar this week, so I decided to pick my favorite novel by Stephen King in this week's Frickin' Sweet Books. Oh, finally, another reader in the family. You know, these are some of my favorite books and authors. Oh, what are you reading right now? Oh, boy. How you, uh, how you coming on that novel you working on? Huh? Got a big, uh, big stack of papers there? I ain't ever read a book in my entire life. <gasps> never read a book. Peter's never read a book. Yeah, the first time. This week we will be talking about The Long Walk, written by Richard Bachman, or uh, Stephen King. Uh, Richard Bachman was an alias that Stephen King wrote under for a long time until he was outed. And he actually wrote a book called The Dark Half uh, about a character who went through the pretty much the exact same uh, situation except for his alter ego came alive and attacked him. And it's actually a wonderful story. Stephen King is one of uh, my favorite writers. I have a, a giant um i have a giant uh uh page that has all of his books and the connections between them um printed out and i've read almost every book that he's ever written uh with just a few of the short stories uh uh unaccounted for um but this was the first book written under the richard bachman um pseudonym and it's also the first book uh, that Stephen King wrote, um, though it was not the first published. His first published work was Carrie, though he does credit this as the first novel that he wrote uh, as a freshman in college. This book came out in July of 1979 and is 384 pages. Its international standard book number is 978-0-451-08754-6. Terrifying uh, book number, if I may say so myself. As I noted before, Carrie came out in 1974. This book came out five years later, though it was written ten years before Carrie was written. 
This book follows Ray Garrity as he competes in a uh, death race of sorts. Uh, the conceit of the book is that a um, hundred young men uh, walk, uh, starting in the most northeastern part of America, and they walk uh, at four miles an hour, and you have three warnings if you fall under that or break any rules. Uh, and if you get three warnings and then break the rules one more time, you are shot dead, and the last man standing wins whatever he wants for the rest of his life. It's set in a dystopian future that I believe is also um, the dystopian future in the other Richard Bachman book, The Running Man, which I'm sure we will talk about another time. It's a really great book that has a lot to say uh, about climate change as well. Um, I think it's got a really good message there. The other characters in this book are McVries, uh, Garrity's best friend, um, who he develops a deep relationship with. There's also the character Stebbins, who becomes one of the um, last walkers and is a very important character. We find out that he's actually um, the major who is the the man in charge of the long walk we find out he's his illegitimate son and he thinks delusionally that the race that he's the white rabbit of the race that the all of the dogs are chasing that he'll win in the end no matter what barkovich uh is a character who um he becomes the antagonist of the group uh he he says he's going to dance on all of their graves and no one no one likes him and there's also one more character named Scram who is one of the favorites to win but he gets uh, pneumonia and soon dies and everyone in the walk decides to help his family uh, when it's all over as I said this is one of my favorite books as a kid and it's no surprise because it was voted the one of the top 100 books for teens to read. I find it's a more one of King's more introspective novels. There is violence in it, but I feel like it's muted compared to some of his other work. Um, and like I said, there is violence, but it's it's in you know relatively compared to his other work. I feel like it's not as violent as others, and it's a true psychological masterpiece in in my opinion, and it describes. Um, the road from exhaustion to madness beautifully and um, and, and like I said it, it's one of my favorite novels by one of my my favorite favorite writers by eight that evening they were walking through Danvers and Garrett finally knew it was almost done because Stebbins could not be beaten I spent too much time thinking <clears throat> By eight that evening, they were walking through Danvers, and Garrett. By eight that evening, by eight that evening, they were walking through Danvers, and Garrett finally knew. It was almost done, because Stebbins could not be beaten. I spent too much time thinking about it. McVries, Baker, Abraham. They didn't think about it. They just did it, as if it was natural. And it is natural. In a way, it's the most natural thing in the world. 
He shambled along, ball-dried, jaw-hanging agape, rain swishing in. For a misty, shudder-like moment, he thought he saw someone he knew, knew as well as himself, weeping and beckoning in the dark ahead. But it was no use. He couldn't go on. He would just tell Stebbins. He was up ahead a little, limping quite a bit now, and looking emaciated. Garrett was very tired, but he was no longer afraid. He felt calm. He felt okay. He made himself go faster until he could put a hand on Stebbins' shoulder. Stebbins, he said. Stebbins turned and looked at Garrity with huge floating eyes that saw nothing for a moment. Then recognition came and he reached out and clawed at Garrity's shirt, pulling it open. The crowd screamed its anger. Ang- the crowd screamed its anger at this interference, but only Garrity was close enough to see the horror in Stebbins' eyes. The horror, the darkness, and the only the horror, the darkness, and only Garrity knew that Stebbins' grip was at last. The horror, the darkness, and only Garrity knew that Stebbins' grip was a last despairing reach for rescue. Oh, Garrity, he cried and fell down. Now the sound of the crowd was apocalyptic. It was the sound of mountains falling and breaking, the earth shattering. The sound crushed Garrity easily beneath it. It would have killed him if he had heard it, but he heard nothing but his own voice. Stebbins, he said curiously. He bent and somehow managed to turn Stebbins over. Stebbins still stared at him, but the despair had already skimmed over. His head rolled bonelessly on his neck. He put a cupped hand in front of Stebbins' mouth. Stebbins, he said again. But Stebbins was dead. Garrity lost interest. He got to his feet and began to walk. Now the cheers filled the earth and fireworks filled the sky. Up ahead, a jeep roared toward him. No vehicles on the road, you damn fool. That's a capital offense. They can shoot you for that. The major stood in the jeep. He held a stiff salute. Ready to grant first wish, every wish, any wish, the death wish, the prize. Behind him, they finished by shooting the already dead Stebbins, and now there was only him, alone, on the road, walking toward where the Major's jeep had stopped diagonally across the white line. And Major was getting out, coming to him, his face kind and unreadable behind the mirror's sunglasses. Garrity stepped aside. He was not alone. The dark figure was back up ahead, not far, beckoning. He knew that figure. If he could get a little closer, he could make out the features. Which one hadn't he walked down? Was it Barkovich? Collie Parker? Percy, what's-his-name? Who was it? Garrity, the crowd screamed deliriously. Garrity, Garrity, Garrity. Was it Scram? Gribble? Davidson? A hand on his shoulder. Garrity shook it off impatiently. The dark figure beckoned. Beckoned in the rain. Beckoned for him to come and walk. To come and play the game. And it was time to get started. There was still so far to walk. Eyes blind. Supplicating hands held out before him as if for alms. Garrity walked toward the dark figure. And when the hand touched his shoulder again... He somehow found the strength to run. This week, we wanted to bring you a freaking sweet wrestling segment. 
that uh, I've been wanting to do for a while uh, because they say that 1999 is the beginning of the end for WCW, but I actually found, like, I watched WCW in 1999, so I, maybe I'm looking at it through rose-tinted glasses, but I think it's a, I think there's actually a lot of good stuff to pull out when you actually look at it. Uh, and we're going to look at it this week in Frickin' Sweet Wrestling. Life sucks, and then you die. Testicular fortitude. Shark. Uh, for a little context, uh, this is the first pay-per-view. It's in January for WCW, and it's their first pay-per-view in their new season, which isn't really how wrestling works, but it kind of is. Um, WWE has their big show uh, in April, and WCW had their big show in January, and then they started their their season over again in January, which makes a lot more fucking sense. And... Um, this, uh, the, like I said, they people like to say that 1999 is kind of the beginning of the end for WCW, but like I said, I, I really feel like there's a lot of good stuff to pull out of it. Um, this particular pay-per-view sold out in 1999, uh, came to us from Charleston, West Virginia, and uh, the first match was Chris Benoit versus Mike Enos. It's hard to talk about Chris Benoit matches. Uh, given, you know, the history of, you know, what Chris Benoit would go on to do, but this was like a really, like, he hit people so fucking hard, and the poor Mike Enos, like, his chest had fucking welts from how hard Chris Benoit hit him, and that's as, that's pretty much all I'll say about that, it was a pretty hard-hitting fucking match, Chris Benoit wins. Uh, the next match, there was a, this next match is Norman Smiley versus Chavo Guerrero Jr., Travel Guerrero, um, member of the Guerrero family and a fantastic wrestler. He goes on to like a super long career. He's one of my favorite. Uh, he's one of my favorite Lucha Libre wrestlers. And Norman Smiley inexplicably had a really long run in WCW, and he was so funny. Um, and he go he beats he beats Travel Guerrero Jr. in this match by submission. Uh, and they have a weird program going on where where Norman Smiley uh, like shredded his his pet his pet rocking horse or something like that and and it's really weird but the third match was fit finley versus van hammer who is this giant hippie character but fit finley just this super irish dude just beat the shit out of him and that's it it, it happened let's just put it that way uh bam bam bigelow an old school wrestler uh, would go just for a couple of years ago from from uh, a couple of years before this Wrestle, uh, main eventing WrestleMania, uh, versus Lawrence Taylor, uh, to wrestling, uh, Wrath, uh, four, four, four matches down the card, and he does come away with the win though. Uh, fifth after that is Lex Luger versus Conan. Lex Luger is actually a really good wrestler, despite his limited um move set, and Conan is awesome he's one of my favorite wrestlers uh, he's got a really eclectic move set 
And also, he was really important in bringing a lot of the Lucha Libre uh, and Cruiserweight guys over. And uh, for that, we can all thank Conan. Uh, but Lex Luger does get the win. And this was over Conan getting kicked out of the NWO, NWO Wolfpack. And um, NWO, it was just so fucking fun. I really recommend everyone getting the Peacock app and going specifically not to watch WWE shit, but specifically to watch WCW shit because it's so much worth, so worth it. And um, the the presentation of it is so much better than what they do now. After that, they have a really good match between Chris Jericho and Perry Saturn. Perry Saturn, probably super, one of the most underrated in-ring wrestlers at the time, but he could not give a fucking promo. Uh, but they had a loser wears a dress match, and Chris Jericho had the referee in his pocket. And it's just such a good match. Chris Jericho was doing things that you're still that you're seeing wrestlers just try to do today, and it's absolutely insane. After that, they have the only championship match of the night. The tag team championships don't get wrestled for tonight. Not the U.S. Championship, not the World Championship, and not the TV Championship. Just the Cruiserweight Championship. But it's a hell of a match. It's a four-way match between Kidman, one of my favorite wrestlers from the time. Uh, he had a weird heroin gimmick before he just became a regular guy. And he did a move called a Shooting Star Press, which is like a, a like a forward-moving backflip or like a gainer or whatever. But he, he did it worse. He did the worst out of anybody, and he hurt people with it. But he was, he's like the most famous person for doing it. And then Rey Mysterio, a legend, uh, but this is back when he was super young. Juventud Guerrera, um, one of my favorite uh, Lucha Libre people, not Guerrero, Guerrera. Uh, you know, um, and then uh, Psychosis, uh, he was one of my, he's another famous Lucha Libre wrestler. And they had a fucking banger of a four-way match. And... Um, I remember having this on VHS, and I remember this match being one of my fucking favorites. It's absolutely insane. But after that, Ric Flair and David Flair. Uh, David Flair, son of Ric Flair, probably the greatest professional wrestler of all time. Uh, they faced Kurt Henning and Barry Windham. Kurt Henning died way too soon uh, in his 40s, and he was definitely one of the greatest Intercontinental Champions ever. And um, just one of the best technical wrestlers of all time and Barry Windham is super underrated for his time I'll just leave it there I could talk about this for a day that's why I, that's why I like talking about wrestling is because then you know they say talk about what you know and I love professional wrestling but I just and I really I really want to talk about this match because while Ric Flair is obviously one of the best wrestlers ever and David Flair could not wrestle uh, he became like a hardcore wrestler because his moveset was super limited but Charlotte Flair became is one of the best wrestlers of today bar none no matter what gender you are charlotte fair is fucking awesome and um it's just funny that her older brother uh was a wrestler and just wasn't even close to how good she is but um he did end up being in the in wcw for quite a while and the last match of the night was a stun gun ladder match where you had to climb a ladder, get the stun gun off of the uh, hook, and stun your opponent with it to win. And it's Goldberg versus Scott Hall. They have a really fantastic match um, that you don't expect. It goes like about 20 minutes, and Goldberg is playing up a knee injury that he got attacked earlier in the show. Attacked. 
and uh, his knee is hurt, and he's really playing up really well. And Scott Hall made the ladder match famous uh, with Shawn Michaels. They didn't have the first one, but they had the first really famous one. And um, they have a really, really good match, like better than you'd expect. And um, Goldberg walks away with the win. In the end, he gets attacked by Bigelow, and Scott Hall um, shocks them. But the match ends with Goldberg giving Hall a spear, a jackknife, and then stunning him with the stun gun and walking away with the win getting his revenge for when Hall used a stun gun on him last month at the 98 Starcade where Goldberg was defending his championship against Kevin Nash and Scott Hall stunned him with a stun gun and ended Goldberg's undefeated streak and making him lose his championship and that's why Goldberg wanted this match it's all for revenge and um he, next month, Goldberg will face Bam Bam Bigelow for attacking him this month. But we won't talk about that until our next freaking sweet wrestling segment when we cover Super Brawl 9. And with that, we'll get you back into your Family Guy episode, Jungle Love. When we come back, we find the family flying to get Chris. And we hear the pilot just being super fucking gross with the uh, flight attendant. He's like, oh, yeah, baby, that's a sweet ass or some shit like that. And he's like, oh, did I leave this on? Ah, fuck it. I want him to hear. And uh, super gross. But I mean, my wife laughs super hard. But Stewie says, man, this is a bigger... Uh, Chris messed up bigger than uh, when I did that musical version of My Left Foot. And then we get a cutaway to... Well, that. And then the family gets to the village. They're like, oh, Chris, they are. They, like, run to him, give him a hug and all that shit. And um, they meet everybody in the village. And um, he's like, yeah, and this is my, you know, this is my wife, Loka. And Lois is like, oh, yeah, you're right. Well, you know, you may be married, may be married here, but, you know, you're not, you know, in America where, you know, God's paying attention, which is fucking terrible. And they noted in the commentary, this is like Lois showing her, like, you know, upbringing. Hi, Mom and Dad. Everybody, this is my wife, Loka. We're married. <laughs> well, maybe here, but not in America, where God pays attention. <laughs> now get your things together. We're leaving right now. Well, ma- Mom, I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm happy here. This is my home. Hey, uh, you guys got an ATM? I only got $37 on me. <gasps> What's the matter with him? We've never seen that much money before. You are the richest man in the country. Richest man in the country? Wow, no griffin's been this powerful since my ancestor, King Arthur Griffin. Oh, Arthur, if you are able to draw the sword from the stone and prove to me you truly are the sole king of Camelot, I will make love to you right here in the clearing. What if I could just move it an inch? Will you touch me? And uh, Peter's like, oh, do you guys have an ATM? All I got is $37. And he is instantly the richest man in their country. All of the villagers bow down to him. And Peter's like, ah, man, now I feel really important. Ah, I'm the most powerful griffin since uh, King Arthur Griffin. Then we get a cutaway to Peter just as King Arthur. It's literally just him in some like armor with a little bit of longer hair, but it looks good on him. Um, 
she's and he's like with the the queen i can't remember her name like guinevere or something and she's like oh wait it is that but she's like oh if you can remove the sword from the stone i will have sex with you in this meadow and he's like ah well you know if i just move it will you touch me and that's so fucking funny but peter immediately starts to exploit the village and it's super gross uh, Brian's like, wow, you know, you, you, you bought every, you know, you've done so much and you only spent a dollar fifty and we get a cutaway to, uh, Stewie and he's like, yeah, you know, the fat man's being better than, uh, you know, fat man's getting a better deal than when I went and saw, I can't remember the cutaway, but it's just a cutaway to a really funny joke where Stewie goes to see Bewitched and it's the joke from the trailer in the movie where Will Ferrell is like, uh, he's like, she's the... The girl in it is like, uh, I'm a witch. And he's like, I'm a Clippers fan. And Stewie's like, mm-hmm. And then we see him leave the theater, get into a cab, go to an airport, fly to L.A., fly, or uh, drive to a hardware store, get a ladder, go to Will Ferrell's house, knock on the door, climb the ladder, Will Ferrell answers, knock him out. That's not funny! And it's super fucking funny. And in the commentary, they were like, like Seth, they were like they were like emphatic. They were like they love Will Ferrell, and Will Ferrell's been on this show multiple times. Uh, most notably, he was the Black Knight uh, when Peter was in the Renaissance Fair. But they were like we love Will Ferrell, but like that was it's inexplicable. They're like it's so weird that he's in that really shitty movie, and um, the whole premise is like that. It's she is a witch. Like, exactly like the girl in Bewitched, and she just happens to get picked to play the girl who is the witch in Bewitched, and he's the producer. And it's super, super fucking stupid. And Will, and, and they're like, I guess Will just got some really bad advice, but they were like, that movie fucking sucks. And they were like, it was either going to be that or Steve Martin in Bringing Down the House. But either way, that joke is fucking hilarious. And um, then Peter explains to Lois uh, that they are staying. Lois is like, you know, we need to get out of here. He's like, no, we're we're not leaving. You know, here I'm a big shot now. And he's like, you know, finally a rich or a white man can be rich and in charge. And uh, which is fucking terrible. And he flicks a nickel over to Joe Pesci, who uh, earlier he said, uh, you know, give me a nickel. I'll, I'll pronounce any word funny. And he's like, here, Pesci, say Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. It's really funny. I love Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, especially in um, Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2 is one of the greatest movies of all fucking time. That's a, it's way better than the first Home Alone. I've had, I've had practical screaming matches with my wife about that. We... We, we take our Christopher Columbus movies very fucking seriously. Um, but then after that, we get a really, really funny um, scene with Stewie and Brian where, they're f- where Stewie's filming a documentary. The native man is an impressive physical specimen. Look closely at his sinewy muscular form and unusual vitality. It is a thrill to watch him dig a ditch or lift a jug of water or participate in the hunt. Cut. Print. Get. And that is so fucking funny. I don't know why that's so fun. There's a few moments between 
Stewie and Brian that are really um, that are really funny, and this is one of them, and another one of them is where Stewie's like doing gymnastics, and uh, he's like, "Wow, this is gay," and, and Stewie's like, "No, no, didn't you hear the announcer? It's not gay." Um, but then we get a uh, scene where. Peter is just taking everything to an ex. Just he's going way too far, and he's having villagers act out scenes from um, '90s sitcoms, and that is just way too far. I am out, huh? I am out. I have pleasured myself. Uh, Lois, you know, they're they're Peter and Chris fight. He's like. You know, you're just running away. You're just doing all this because you're running away from your problems at work. And Lois is like, well, aren't you doing the same thing, Chris? And Chris is like, yeah, I guess you're fucking... He's, he literally is like, oh my god, you're right. Yeah, I didn't notice. And um, he's like, Loka, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I can't believe I, I came here like this. I, I married this 11-year-old girl. Oh my god. For the wrong reason, but I guess Chris is like 14, but still, this way, whoa. But Chris begins to break up with her, and in the, in the, in the breaking up with her, he reveals that he is a freshman, and the chief in the village are like, freshman, 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 and they all start chasing him for the fucking freshman hunt, and the whole family starts running, and it turns into a fucking Indiana Jones style um chase scene um it's from which fucking indiana jones movie is it god i do not like indiana jones but i've seen all of them it's fucking terrible but especially the fucking the shia labeouf i like shia labeouf god bless him but god that one is just wow but it's from raiders of the lost ark that's the one it's from but, uh, you know, when he's running away from, and they're, like, firing arrows, and he gets, he gets on the prop plane, and then he gets away. But they left Meg behind. Meg, uh, they're like, oh, where's Meg? And then she's, like, at the river. She falls forward, and she's got all the arrows in her. And that is how our episode ends. And that'll do it for us here at Frickin' Sweet. I've been your host, Ian... I guess we should be hitting the old dusty trail. But before we do, let me tell you that you can send us an email at frickinsweetfamilypod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash frickinsweet. There you can not only send us a voicemail that you can hear right here on the show, but you can check out our entire backlog of episodes of 63 episodes of Family Guy and counting, including our special episodes of The Origins of Family Guy the three-part Stewie Griffin Untold story that we did, and the first Star Wars episode. And big announcement, really, really soon we're going to be coming out with the second episode of Star Wars, and it's going to be so, so, so much fun. I've already watched it, I've already started taking notes on it, and it's going to be so, so much fun. The second one is, is just as funny, if not funnier, than the first one and i uh, i can't wait cannot wait to get into it with you guys this next episode um as i said before is the first episode of the next volume volume four family guy which kind of fucks up us on uh the dvds but this episode starts us out on a really 
good uh, line of episodes. Like, everyone from here on out is just fucking fantastic. Including next week's episode, which is PTV. It's one of my favorite episodes where Peter manages to get his own TV station together and he puts out his own programming. And it's so much fun. I cannot wait to get into it. So, without further ado, we will end this week's episode so that we can get to next ones even faster. And I will see you guys next week. Later, guys. Bye. It seems today that all you see is vile. A bag of weed, a bag of weed, or everything is better with a bag of weed. It's the only nothing you'll ever need because... Though they try to defeat me, they can all just freaking eat me. To make you call fellatio a trouser-friendly kiss is the plain situation. Be sure that you see that this is not a chive.